Thank you, Greg, and uh, thank you so much, Jenica and the worship team. Now, there's two Gregs here this morning. There's Greg Augustinelli, and the man of the year, I'm going to refer to him as Dr. Greg. Appropriately, he has a doctor, but he's probably got a couple of those. Uh, Greg and, and Kathy are here, and we're so grateful. I've been introducing them to you, you know, last several weeks as our interim regional leaders and really helping our staff uh, just figure out our geography, our, our relationships, our, our, our vision forward. So um, I want to welcome him this morning and introduce him to you in person, but they're both right here. Greg and Kathy, can you stand up? But they are actually therapists as well. So if you if we have a discussion, there's rooms back there, guys. Have a quick little, you know, it's a download some stuff. You know, it's good for you, good for the soul. Um, but I'm gonna bring him up. He's gonna preach the word and he's gonna speak the word of God to us, and I'll come back up and talk about our contribution. I want to welcome Dr. Greg Moretsky. I guess this is where I'm supposed to be, right here. That's about how discombobulated I am. <laughs> I uh, just flew back from uh, Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Christian University. We had a uh, scholars conference, ICOC teachers conference this last uh, several days in Oklahoma City. And uh, I have tried to give this uh, conference away for about three years and it just keeps it's like a boomerang coming back somebody agrees that they'll do it and i tell them i'm so busy i got other things going on and they say okay and then after about a month something comes up in their life and they uh pass it back to me and so that has happened with three different tremendous brothers i have no better attitudes i love them with all my heart but i have something come up in my life every year too you know but uh I have some tremendous people that support me at Nano Valley and also have sort of gathered some people from around the world to help. And uh, there's a sister in St. Louis who's really the director. Her name is Kathy Rosario. And she makes me look uh, so much better than I really am. But uh, I was coming back yesterday. I thought, okay, I'll have a great evening. I get in early, I go home, spend time with Kathy. We're supposed to arrive five minutes apart she was coming from dallas and, and uh, her plane was delayed mine was delayed several hours and then we got on uh, the highway coming home and it's not supposed to snow in southern california <laughs> just not supposed to and on the 14th i was stopped a couple times for an hour because of rex and incredible snowstorm i almost called geo last night and said i don't know if i'm gonna be able to make it back because they closed the road for a while yesterday and if it's still snowy today i don't know if they're if they're gonna let me get get down here and so yeah. i had one of those restless nights it was a short one about six hours of sleep is all that's why i look so refreshed this morning and uh uh Anyway, but the road was beautiful. The sun had come out and cleared off. You know, that's the great thing about Southern California. But uh, it's good to be here. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. Yep. Okay. First one is, what is one of your favorite songs, sort of an anthem, maybe now or when you were younger, sometime in your life? What was a song that was an anthem for you? Peace of mind, Boston. Okay, peace of mind, Boston. That's a good one. What's, what's another? 
whole lot of love. Led Zeppelin. Whole lot of love. Led Zeppelin. There's a there's a classic. That's a good one. What else? Let's sing Tell Brooklyn, Beastie Boys. <laughs> All right, a little after my time, but good. Yeah. Cindy Lauper, I even know that song. Yeah. We may right. never say it. We may never pass. That was the theme of Kathy and I's uh, high school senior prom. <laughs> we never pass. All right, well, and think about that. You know, it had come to you and had us hasn't already come, but uh, one of mine when I was uh, young and dumb, and hopefully you're not young and dumb, not offending the kids, because I got some really nice things to say about you here in a minute. <laughs> but uh, when I was young and dumb, sort of my anthem in high school was uh, Simon and Garfunkel's song, I Am a Rock. And the reason that was sort of an anthem for me is it goes a little bit like this on a winter's day in deep and dark december i am alone gazing from my window to the street below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow i am a rock i am an island i've built walls of fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate i have no need of friendship friendship causes pain it's laughter and it's loving i disdain i'm a rock i'm an island don't talk of love, but I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I ever loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I'm an island. I have my books, my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within its womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I'm a rock. I'm an island. Why? Because a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a bit of a dysfunctional family and you could not cry. I'm the youngest of four boys. My dad was a truck driver. You could express anger, but you could not express any other emotion. All right. That's sort of how I grew up. That was an era. That was a generation. And uh, then I became a Christian. I worked with a great brother named Gordon Ferguson, and he decided he's going to flip all those switches of emotions on in me. And then I became a blubbery mess for a little while. And then I settled out, and I'm glad I have the, the emotions turned on. I want to feel, I want to love, I want to, you know, be, have the full experience. But I had shut down early. I should have shut down early. And some of us do that when we go through tough times. And I loved the conference that I was at because it was about Gen Z and it really gave me a tremendous empathy and love for the next generation. And a little bit about Gen Alpha, which is the, our children, the little kids right now. But Gen Z are the young people, all right, up till about 21 or so. And Think about the things that have happened in their life that have shaped them. But listen to a few of these dates, and it might spark a memory. You remember what happened on April 20th, 1999? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> that came along later. That saved us all. April 20th, 1999. 
The Columbine shoot. The Columbine shoot. And then what about, well, this one's an easy one. What happened on September 11th, 2001? World Trade Center. What happened on, and this would be the last one, May 25th, 2020? That was in, yeah, it was more in March. George Floyd. Okay. But in the last year, there have been almost 400 school shootings. And Columbine was sort of the beginning of that. Yeah. And now, since that time, they've just increased and almost exponentially, not just a steady state, but almost exponentially. And so the, the world that the young people that are young adults right now that's grown up in is a very different world than a lot of us have grown up in. Because it's, you know, what's emphasized is the technology and how proficient they are and how people like me are called digital immigrants yeah. or ignorance, you know, yeah. and they're digital natives. It's right. just natural for them. Right. And it is. And, and, and even my granddaughter, seven years old, she's just amazing at it, you know, but for me, it, it still takes a lot of translations, like learning a language as an old, older person. If you learn a language when you're young, it's really easier. But when you're older, everything comes out with a Western Colorado accent. I speak Greek in East Western Colorado. I speak Hebrew in Western Colorado. And so it's, it's weird. It's weird. So what has that done to our kids? It's made them both highly ambitious. They want to change this weird, messed up world. But it's also made them highly anxious. They're vigilant. They're on, you know, what was that? Is that a shot? See, we went through nuclear bomb scares yeah. when we were in school, Kathy and I. We got under the desk. <laughs> that was going to do a lot of good. <laughs> That's how we, they, they sound desired and we get under the desk. Kiss the poor goodbye. I guess. <laughs> But these kids, they've had active shooter drills over and over. And that kind of thing raises a person's anxiety. And as professional counselors, anxiety is the fear of the future. Fear of things happening in the future. And they don't even have to happen. But because of things in the past, we have this fear of them happening in the future. And so... What I've decided this morning to say is, you know, we have bad news constantly. Our phones never stop, right? And most of it's pretty negative. Yeah. It's pretty bad news. Yeah. And so the church needs to be a place where the good news is highlighted. Yes. Where we come together and say, okay, there, there's bad things going on in the world. But what we just partook of, communion the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus can ground us, yeah. can give us an anchor for our souls, can lower our anxiety. The, the Lord's Supper gives us hope. The idea that everyone can change and we can be resurrected, that death doesn't have the last 
that word. Every time we take a communion, there's death to kill the things that need to die, but then life to let the things that need to live, live. I mean, every time I take of it, I say the body and the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and the blood of Jesus for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to overcome. Mm -hmm. You got to mix the two, not just put off the bad, but gain the new. Remind yourself every time you take a communion that you're putting off that, that bad stuff yeah. in your life, that right. bad news. Right. You want to just sort of set it aside, put it down, leave it in the past, and you're going on to a future of hope. What we learned at this conference was when college freshmen today are asked about the future, they don't have answers. Every college class up to this point, many of the professors shared, when you ask them a question about the future and changing the world, they have lots of ideas. Climate change, and, you know, man on the moon, not man, person on, on Mars, you know, excuse me. My age gets, comes through. Uh, please give me grace, all right? All right? But this was the first year that the incoming class talked about things that had, were happening now or in the past, but had a hard time talking about the future. Because the future doesn't seem hopeful to them because of all this bad news. And you know what? It broke my heart. I'm like, whoa, I thought these kids were just honoring I thought Gen Z just were very outspoken and honoring and opinionated. And I loved them because that's exactly what I was at their age. You, know? you love yourself, don't you? you know, hey, come on, get real. You love yourself. People like you. Hey, that one's cool. How about that one? Right? And so I, I've loved Gen Z, but my heart broke for them. Because I have hope for the future. See, the, I asked three questions of new patients, and I don't have very many patients anymore. I have a lot of patients because of the Holy Spirit, but I don't see clients, let me put it that way, because of all the church work I'm doing. I, I tried to keep one at a time at least, but now I'm not doing that. But uh, um, I asked new clients three, three questions. And, and they're usually just about their childhood. What's your first memory of life? What's one of your favorite memories as a child? And then tell me what your early childhood was like. Just tell me, tell me some, some other memories that stand out. And what you get from that, you can interpret it just like you can interpret dreams. You don't wanna to read too much into things. You can check in with your patient or client to make sure you're right. But what I want to find out is, what is your view of the world? Is the world a safe place or not a safe place? That's a big question. It's an existential question. And if it's not a safe place, then you're vigilant, you're protective, you have anxiety, other things like that. And our young people don't believe the world is a safe place. 
and it can be. I have angels watching over me. That could be an anthem of my, my life, too. Amy Grant, one of Kathy's roommates, was best friends with her growing up. So we liked her music. It didn't have to be good. We liked it. You know, it's got a connection. But she has a song, Angels Watching Over Me. It's a good song. Look it up on Spotify, whatever, YouTube. There you go. <laughs> But today I want to share a very simple lesson. You know, the doctors in the church ought to make the complex simple. Not get up here and make you more confused. Right? And so I want to talk about the good news of Jesus because Satan is constantly pointing his finger at us and says, shame on you. Shame on you. I didn't even realize I went in the ministry initially because I felt shame. I was so afraid to not be a minister, not that I wouldn't go to hell, but that I would be a really bad person, that who I am really would come out, that by being a minister, the Holy Spirit would keep it quenched, right? And it's because I thought I was really defective, because growing up, I had a terrible problem. I had an anger problem, and most of the men are saying, oh, don't we all? <laughs> No, mine was rage. I didn't just lose my temper. I mean, I went crazy. I was one of those crazies. All right. That it it just escalated not just to anger and saying stupid things, but real rage. And I became a Christian because I thought I'll never be able to stay married or get married. I'll never be able to really keep a job or build a career because I cannot control my temper. Oh, it worked for a little while in sports wrestling and football hit, hit people harder <laughs> until they're so much bigger than you that you better not make them mad. But then it started getting me kicked off teams and other things. I had a problem and I knew I needed power to fix it. And even after I got the Holy Spirit power and fixed it, I still let Satan accuse me. You know, the waters of baptism cleanse me of that rage, and the Holy Spirit has empowered me. And I've gotten mad in the last 45 years as a Christian, but I've never lost it like I did when I was young. And so I had a therapist tell me, she, she worked through this with me. It, it, when you go through counseling school, you have to have individual therapy for a year because they want you to know how it feels, and they want to get you fixed before you go out trying to fix it. <laughs> and a year of group therapy. And my group, unfortunately, was very difficult for me, because it was a group of 25-year-old women and me at 50-some years old. And even the woman leading it, the therapist, was a woman. And I felt very ganged up. And when they decided to ask me what was my deepest, darkest secret, I didn't want to tell them because I thought no one's going to relate. These people will hate me. They will not want to go to school with me if they really knew me. And I had to talk about people that I'd hurt in rage. I mean, hurt bad, put in the hospital, things that I'd done in rage. And I thought all of these young women would just 
And at first they had that shock look. And then they started crying. And one by one, they start giving me grace. Oh, you're not that way. We've never experienced that. And the therapist walked me through it. She goes, okay, let's let's think about this, Greg. When is the last time you lost your temper? Oh, about 35, 40 years ago. No, really. When was the last time you lost your temper? No, I mean, when I, me almost just losing it, going crazy. 40 years ago. Okay, let's let's get this straight. So 40 years ago, something happened when you were a drunk teenager. And you've defined yourself your whole life by those events. Does that really make sense? Girls, what do you think? <laughs> All the girls. And instead of rejecting they gave me grace. And that's what this lesson needs to do for you this morning. Satan said, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. And Jesus is saying, no. No, he's the liar. Don't believe that lie. So let's get into this a little bit, all right? Way too long an introduction. <laughs> but a really good one. Here's a gospel. Here's gospel. Here's the verse that I want to read to you. And I can't read it off there. That's how bad my eyes are. So I use this. All right. Brothers and sisters. And, and you may be wondering, why, why is he all dressed up? Why has he got a coat tied? <laughs> well, because this is my job interview. You know? I'm supposed to be an interim region leader. Maybe I want to be the head coach that's not interim anymore. You know? so I try to do my best here. Here we go. If you're my size, you'd wear a coat too. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. You received on which you take your stand. By this what? Gospel. You are what? Saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the good news of Jesus, but I want to translate it into what it means because I've heard that, all of us have heard that. That's great religious teaching and religious jargon, but what does it practically mean for our lives? That Jesus died for our sins. We just took a communion to real, realize it and to embody it, to remember it, to, to uh, seek fellowship with God. But it's our North Star. I don't know much about the stars. My dorm, dorm was right across from the, the planetarium, and I went there once and didn't even stay for very long. Right? I could have learned all about the stars in the universe, but I didn't. Right? But I do know where the Big Dipper is, how the cup at the end, the line on the end points to the North Star. I know where the North Star is. I've slept outside, camped enough. I know where the North Star is. And you got to have a North Star that guides you. 
Gen Z, you got to grab, grab hold of a North Star so you don't live an anxious life. You can fulfill those great ambitions and dreams you have to change the world because the world needs change. I want to support you. All right. I tried. We made a dent, but there's a lot, lot to do. All right. And so what does the gospel say to us? I call this practical theology, practical understanding of God. That's all that means. All right, let's keep going. First Corinthians 1.18, we know this first. For the message of the cross, that death, burial, resurrection, is stupid, foolish, moronic, the Greek word. All right? It's for idiots. The world thinks most fanatical Christians, devoted Christians, radical Christians, they, they just, they've lost it. They're not normal anymore. When I became Christian, my three older brothers disowned me, basically. My friends that I'd grown up with all my life, I thought, they're going to love me now. I've been a real jerk. And now I'm changed, and I'm nice, and I'm loving them. Well, at least I wanted to be. <laughs> and they didn't like that. I didn't understand it. This verse explains it to me. It's foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It goes on. In 1 Corinthians 1, there that Jews look for signs, miracles, and Greeks look for wisdom. And people are doing the same thing today. Give me magic. Give me power. Give me miracles. Give me sensation. Give me some high. Or help me to really understand, like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. Let, let's figure it out. And let's get enough men and women together and get all the answers. We, we can really answer all the problems in the world. Or if we get a big enough computer, and if we can't figure it out, let's get AI to do it for us. Right? And, you know, I've done a lot of studies. You know, I'm getting my second doctorate here in a few months. and I, I got more degrees than fingers, you know. <laughs> And if I've learned anything in all this education is we as humans don't have all the answers. But there's someone greater than us that we got to look to for answers. We got to figure them out. And that's going to make all the difference. And he goes on in that chapter and says the answer is in the cross. And this is Jesus' message on the cross. This is a different sermon, but you should look those up in your quiet times because that tells you the last will and testament of Jesus. The things that he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son, and son, behold your woman. I'm thirsty, meaning I'm human. Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. God, why have you left me? We've been in fellowship for eternity, and now you're gone. That's what sin does. That's why we need saved. That's why we need a relationship with God. That anxiety will grow without the power and without a relationship with God, I guarantee you. I lived life fast, and at 19 years old, I walked out of a bar in Golden, Colorado, where, yeah, the Coors plant's at, all right, for those that didn't know. And... Uh, but I walked out of a bar one Saturday night and said, is this all there is to life? And I started searching. 
And I didn't want to search Christianity because my mother was a very devoted Christian. And I did not, I thought I've just been indoctrinated that way. Now I'm an enlightened, open-minded, <laughs> educated person. I'm going to, I'm going to look the other way. So I read the Bhagavad Gita, the Book of Mormon, and the, and everything else. Even Carlos Castaneda and a little marijuana. All right. <laughs> and all of them had answers. But as a young college student, I'm like, well, I could sit under a tree for a while, like Tartha Sadama, you know, and I could write me a book. Or I could take a little bit about out of all these books and come up with my own philosophy of life. But then there's this one guy that says, I didn't just sit around down here and get enlightened, tell you how to get up there or get where we need to go. I came from there, came down here, died for you, went back up there to prove to you I can get you there. And I thought, I'm going to start with him. He's claiming the most. I'm yeah. starting with him. But you don't know if any of it's true unless you really live it, not fake it or half do it. Because I played enough sports as an all-state athlete and got a college scholarship. So I knew you had to put, put it out. You had to go all in if you're really going to learn it. So I became an all-in Christian. And I started looking for a church, and God led me here. And I'm still here. And we got problems as a church. Mercy. Lord in heaven. Mercy, Lord. But we still hold to the truth that we want to be true disciples of Jesus and follow the book. And so going on here, you know, there's lots of systems. We're very complex people, the the, the skeletal, the, the pulmonary, the respiratory, the, all the all the different systems in the body. But so let's make it simple. You can understand God many different ways. Theology says you can do it from the mighty acts of God, like creation, all the way through the second coming. But I say, let's just focus on the mightiest act, the mightiest act of God. And that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What happened here? <laughs> This isn't my computer. I didn't do it. Just push buttons. Let's see. We can shut that down if we have. This is when the uh, the television takes commercial break. <laughs> you know, if they sell a product. So probably have. Oh, we have a a, a men's day you can attend with Neil Garson. <laughs> Yes, speaker for yes. Google Pines yes. up in the mountains by Wisconsin. Right, Wood. Yeah. 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 Aren't you guys got a pretty cool speaker? Yeah, right? yeah really. I'm one of the best speakers. I mean, one wow. of the funniest. And, I mean, he gets you softened up and then zing. Yeah. He's gifted. And he's my friend. I always ask speakers, I want to hang out with you know, yeah, some speakers you want to hang out with for a day, but if you want to hang out with somebody for a weekend, like you got to pick the fun ones. <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever I did. It's okay. We can find it. Okay. Are there any other commercials? <laughs> Women's Day. Women's Day for Karen. When's your Women's Day, Karen? It's on Saturday. It's coming up. 
Oh, this coming Saturday. Who's your guest speaker? Yes, we have two. We have two. guest speakers, Sarah and Jade Matthews. All right. Yeah. So, so two generations. Generation. Yeah, intergenerational. Yeah. Like that. Like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, Jill. He's uh he's in between a digital native and digital immigrant, I guess. <laughs> goes a little bit further how to do this a little bit better but here's my proposal i'll read this to you as i'm clicking through theology of god is based on the mightiest act of god the preeminent event in the bible the emphasis of scripture the focus of the narrative the crowning event of salvation the cross theology of, of god has to be i think focused on the cross yeah. and why do i say that guys because i really believe that the cross is the pinnacle if you look at you if you just throw your bible open you're going to hit one of the gospels and over half of the gospel is about the last week of jesus the passion narrative okay so if we use that as our template if we use yeah. that as our guide what does death what is burial and what is resurrection teach us that we got a package coming? <laughs> I told you I'm discombobulated. <laughs> but death tells me something about God. Burial tells me something about God. And resurrection tells me something about God. If you have the right view of God, you're going to be in love with him the rest of your life. You're going to do things for the right reasons. You're going to stay Christian when maybe nobody else you know does. And the right view of God, I want to share what I think is the right view of God. And that is, death tells me that God is a righteous God. What do I mean by that? That sin had to be atoned for. That when you do something wrong, there's consequences. And a lot of us don't want consequences. And some of us were so stubborn that we did stuff and we didn't think it was wrong. But then we got hit by a two by four to realize there's consequences for this. Yeah. Right? And the death of Jesus says sin must be paid for by blood. And the blood sacrifice of not just a perfect man could save the world. But it had to be the blood of a perfect God. I want to differentiate for you Christianity from every other religion because the world doesn't differentiate. Thinks everyone's as good as another. No, they're not. Here's why. Because there's only one God that died for the world. One God. And that's the scandal of Christianity. That's why Greeks and Romans and even Jews, many of them thought that's stupid. Gods are supposed to be powerful. They're supposed to overcome. They're supposed to be victorious. They're supposed to have all the answers. They're supposed to fix all the problems. They're not supposed to die. A God that died to follow that's a cartoon character. You know, that's the scandal of the cross. That's the foolishness of the cross. 
But for us who are Christians, it's the power of God. It's the power of love. Who dies for anybody? Only someone that loves you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who dies for our country? The people that love the country and love their loved ones and are willing to die to protect it. Please don't mock that. Let's find a different style of protest, okay? Let's not pit two really good, important things against each other. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I don't, I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm not. But that tells me sin has to be paid for. And God paid for it himself. Hey, that gets my attention. I might want to follow a God like that. All these people that claim power in the world, status and everything. A God that sacrificed for me. The death of Jesus tells me a lot about God. But he also says, I got to repent of my sin. I got to take up my cross daily and follow him or I can't be his disciple. The cross is the righteousness of God. The death of Jesus is the righteousness of God. But that isn't all there is to God. And our movement has overemphasized the righteousness of God. Why are so many people unhappy or hurt or damaged? Overemphasis on the holiness and righteousness of God. It's sort of like the health model. Health model for a long time was based on the disease model. Get, find out the disease and cut it out. Get rid of the disease. Now health is focused on the wellness model. Let's strengthen the strong parts of the body and shrink the weak parts. If some illnesses are acute, they're never going away, and you can't cut them all out, so you just shrink them. And that you make the person's other systems stronger. Churches that are focused on sin, they're constantly pointing people to the exit. Get out, you're a sinner. Get out, you're a sinner. Get out, you're a sinner. And then there's nobody left. We're not focused on the sin model, the disease model. We're focused on the wellness model. We're all going to be sinners until we get to heaven. So let's give each other some grace and let's make ourselves stronger spiritually instead of focusing. Don't think pink elephant. Think pink elephant. Never seen one, but it's been shared. So I think I must believe in them. All right, what is burial? I'm going to hold off on that because I didn't understand that one for a while. And then resurrection, what does it say about God? It says God's a good God. It says God gives people second chance, a third yeah. chance, a fourth chance. Yeah. That God raises people from the dead. That God can make the dead live. One of the comments at the conference was that the cross kills what needs to die and lets live what needs to live and i really like that because it tells us we can live if i believe in the resurrection i believe there's grace for everybody yeah. everybody one of the brothers gave me a book on uh, dahmer yeah. and he said you ought to read this greg I'm like, I have no desire to read that book. <laughs> I don't like horror movies. I don't like to scare myself. I got enough EBGBs. I don't need any more. 
And I didn't watch the watch the Netflix show. That's not my taste. But I get if the book was about how I guess a Church of Christ minister converted him before he died. Yeah. All right. And he asked me, "Do you believe that God can forgive Dahmer?" I said, "Yeah, I believe any and everybody can change." My dad became a Christian about. 30 years old, was a Christian about five, 10 years, left the church for 35 years, the last three years of his life. He truly repented, became right with God, and he died, went to heaven. And I never thought he would change. He was so difficult. I'm going to be nice here. Growing up. And I tried for 30 some years as a minister. He just would curse me out. Do not talk to me about this. Leave me alone. I can't get right with myself, and you're not going to be the one that helps me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm going all around the world to save people, and I cannot save my dad. <laughs> and my mom's a faithful Christian. She's like, her hope was in her baby son, saving her husband. You know, If I'm truly a man of God, I have to do all the funerals and weddings in the family, wherever they're at in the world. She's still alive, 92 years old, still giving me assignments. <laughs> but a preacher moved into grandma's house next door, Church of Christ, retired preacher, fished with my dad, gardened with my dad, saved my dad. And now I really believe in the resurrection. I really believe people can change. If first it, it took me, I thought I, I'm a minister because if I can change, anybody can change, and everybody needs to change. But then when my dad became a Christian, I thought, this guy's living. Everyone can become a Christian. That's what resurrection does. I can look at anybody and, and see hope and future and what resurrection can do. The dead can live. What's burial? This is good stuff. I'll end with this. I think you're still with me. Nobody's sleeping. <laughs> it's burial. I went, I got out of the ministry for a while, burned out after 25 years. It's hard to stay up by jumping. <laughs> you just keep coming back down. And that was sort of my ministry the first 25 years trying to be perfect. I'm a recovering uh, perfectionist. I thought the only way I could please God was to be perfect. Well, there's only one man that did that, and I failed that. And so I retired from the ministry. Thought my kids started struggling. I, I can't keep up this facade of being perfect. I'm trying and trying. But... And so I took a year, year off, went back to engineering, and then a little church in Omaha. Said, Greg, we'd like for you to come lead our church. You, you, you helped plan it years ago from Denver. Why don't you come lead it? And they said, here's how much money we have. Would you take this job? And I said, well, Kathy's a school counselor, and I'm an engineer. It's what we were going to do the rest of our lives. But we'll check it out. We'll see what God wants to do. So Kathy got a job as a school counselor there before I, they offered me a job. And I went. And for eight years, I worked as a minister in this little bitty church. And it was it's about this size. 
These are the hardest jobs in the kingdom of God. You guys got to honor Geo and Gary. It's hard. Because people move in and out. You have to just rent what you can. And, you know, there's not a lot of resources. Anyway, that's another story. (laughs) And I worked. I just was bored. Everybody in my church worked all day and couldn't get with anybody. And I'd go up on campus and they thought I was an old weirdo. (laughs) So that I got to get a niche into this community. And so I started volunteering at the hospital as a chaplain. And after eight years of attending 500 deaths, I figured out what burial means. When Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, he means, God, why are you silent? Why aren't you giving me answers? This is Job's story. He got so mad because God didn't give him the answers. And we all go through faith struggles. You know, they pocked at the conference called the dark night of the soul. That's what spirituality experts call it. We all go through faith struggles. And sometimes we don't have all the answers and God can't give them to us. But that's when faith comes in. When you're wandering in that wilderness, we're in, when you're in a dark night, you don't understand. When you're, when you're just hurt, when you're anxious. Yeah. The burial is the good news for Gen Z folks. Because what's going to come is resurrection. You can go through wilderness periods. You can go through dark periods. You can go through silent periods, health periods. But then it's going to end with resurrection for sure. And if you believe that, Nothing happens in your life. Listen to me now. Nothing happens if you don't believe it. Yeah. I, I talked grace long before I believed it. And once I started believing it, I started feeling it. But I talked about it for years. God's a loving God. He's so good. But I didn't feel like he was very good. Didn't give me these warm fuzzies. <laughs> but then I really started believing it. I started feeling warm fuzzies. Hey, a little more of that. Oh, over to the right, Lord. God is good. I'm a little sacrilegious at that. How many in there? That's enough. Hopefully your cup's full. Yeah. But this is my philosophy of ministry. And I got to say this before I quit. All three are true at the same time. If you get imbalanced and you just focus on sin and the righteousness of God, you become a very legalistic, sad Christian. If you just focus on God's resurrection and grace, you can start getting sentimental and and cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus. And you won't change because God's going to start holding back the blessings because you're taking advantage of it. But if you keep all three things in dialectic or tension, then and dialectic is two things being yeah. true say so i gotta say trialectic i made up a word doctors make up word trialectic right three things are true at the same time they're intention at the same time and so that's how i run my ministry i won't challenge you about sin without giving you a lot of grace and i won't give you a lot of grace or challenge you about sin without trying to give you a lot of faith in the promises and the goodness of god and if we'll keep those three things together, folks, we'll heal our church. We'll build up our church. We will, the Gen Z will improve our church. 
us. And, you know, the world will live happily ever after. <laughs> Now, I really uh, connected with that attention. You know, if everyone's a sinner, then there's no one going to be here left in church, right? <laughs> so there's this, there's this tension. That's the culture that, you know, we want in Shoreline. We want in the churches of Christ. This, this, this tension of, hey, there's, there's mercy and grace, but there's also righteousness as well. So it's that balance. But it's our relationships with each other yeah. that really put it all together. Because mm -hmm. when you're an island, you're right, you're an island. You're, you're out there. So if you feel like you're on an island this morning, like I've been out there on an island, you know, you know, th there's this, there's this old, um, you know, in, in geography, the world used to be more connected in, on land, mm -hmm. but the ocean waters uh, rose because of the younger dryest. So, so I'm sorry I'm going to geek out on you, but a lot of the land, like England used to connect to Europe, but it doesn't because the waters rose and it became an island. And sometimes the waters can rise, the waters of stress and the waters of, you know, oh, being overwhelmed can rise and make you an island. So the good thing is we have boats. Right. So thank you, Greg. Thank you so much for teaching us how to get out. Tremendous uh, doctor. I, if, you, if you look through the slides long enough, you will become a doctor. So that's encouraging. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put up a little slide for our contribution thoughts. Let's see if I can put it on there. I wonder if it will play. Okay, there it is. I've been talking to you about the Israelites. So it's starts a little blurry that I copied the slide. I should have, should have done that. But the Israelites, when the monarchy fell apart, they, you know, they, they went into chaos. They went into taking advantage of each other. And the Israelites were, they were worshiping God, but yet they weren't even, you know, offering any kind of jubilees to free them from debt. They kept recycling almost like an indebted servitude for their lifetime and their children's lifetime and their children's lifetime. And so over time, you know, the, the ministry of the kingdom, it collapsed and they were led away, put into exile for about 70 years. And Jeremiah makes his prophecy and it just went bad because their hearts went away and distanced themselves from God. And so I got this out of this book and I've told you about it by, by the end of the year, you would have read this book or at least got the good cliff notes of this book. <laughs> and so 70 years of captivity, uh, they returned to Jerusalem, but yet it was a small contingent only in Jerusalem because there was no northern kingdom anymore. It was demolished. So they went back to Judah. And the people had decided that they, they were desperate economically and therefore no longer trusting God's law. Back then, the Old Testament uh, uh, law was to tithe, right? New Testament is like, hey, there's sacrificial giving, but there's this important part they were just neglecting, although they were worshiping God. And they what happened was with the, the economic recovery was slow for them and they began to become desperate and so they began to give uh, with a stingy heart that god would not provide for them i have to keep more for myself because i no longer trust that god will provide for the kingdom anymore for me and so malachi is sent over there to give him a message and you've all you probably have never heard the scripture ever in malachi 3 6 you probably have never read this before but i'm gonna read it to you i'm just kidding most of you know this passage um this passage is asking, God is asking the Israelites, hey, you're stealing, you're robbing me. And then how do we do that? Uh, well, a man robbed God, yet you robbed me. How, how have we robbed you, God? In your tithes and offerings, your contributions. You were under a curse for you robbing me, the whole nation. 
So there's a violation of a relationship, right? You're not trusting me. I'm here to provide for you. I'm the God of the economy and you're not trusting me. So now whenever you lack trust, a relationship gets broken. Think about your marriage. When you no longer trust your spouse, there's something wrong in the relationship. So that's what God is telling Israelites. There's something wrong. Why don't you trust me? I will provide for you. You know, you know, when you have kids and then, you know, dad, give me some money. No, go get a job first. And I will, I, I will support you. I will help you. I've been paying for you since you were born, right? So he sends Malachi over. And so the, 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 the idea here is that the Israelites, their state of mind was they became, they became, became uh, living in a desperate mentality. They became desperate. And so they became people that were in survival mode. And so when you, they got into survival mode, they, they just wanted to survive. You know, um, God, had not, God had not returned to the temple since Solomon. God's presence wasn't there, and they got discouraged. God wasn't showing up in the cloud, in the glory cloud anymore. He was not there. They're going, where's, but God kept sending prophets, but God wasn't there. And that discouragement and that the economic struggle, they lost their trust in God. And so that's kind of the background of what's happening to um, the people of Israel during Malachi's time. And I want to encourage you not to seek your security elsewhere. Seek God. God is inviting you into the relationship of trust. And how much more is trust on the line when it comes to how our livelihood? How much more is trust there in a relationship? And so the people withheld and God's like, hey, listen, I, I don't want, I don't want your, your blind and your disease and your lame uh, animals that you're trying to sacrifice. I don't want that. I want you. Yeah. I want you. I want you to trust me. So this morning, God is inviting us to trust him in the giving. You know, I, I always ask you guys, pray about this first. You should pray because God loves to stir the human heart. He loves doing it. He stirs people. And when he stirs you, then you decide what you give. And you're going to give it with a cheerful heart because God has moved you. So if you haven't been participating in this awesome exchange of a trust relationship with God, I want to encourage you to do so. Let's pray for our contribution. God, thank you so much for this uh, amazing morning of just connecting the dots in the cross theology and also just seeing it with the Israelites, God. They, they were losing hope. They were losing the strain of life, living their life, God, and rebuilding the temple was extraordinary. We pray, God, this morning that you would just, uh, that we would seek you yes. uh, on this level, God. We would seek your face, seek your heart. God, move us and stir us. Uh, I know your Holy Spirit works powerfully through us, God. So I just pray this morning that you'd bless our fellowship and bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.